collective power. We are out to transform trauma system-wide by presenting a mirror of the system to itself. Each month, we focus on one system, and each episode, we focus on one person's experience and their angle. At the end of each month, we bring all those angles together to reveal a new big picture. Stay with us to discover our collective power and what's possible for our city, for our country, and our world. I am Dr. Rita Fierro, and I am your host. Good morning. I have Alicia here. How are you doing, Alicia? I'm great. And yourself? Good. Raphael Freeman, good morning. I'm also great. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning, Alicia. Hi, Raphael. So this is our uh, last show of the month, and what a month, folks. We decided to cover political systems this month because we thought the primaries were really going to be our focus. Mm -hmm. And we really thought that the primaries were going to bring out how our political systems operate and all the critique and frustration around the primaries. And wow, did we get a turn. Like, that's not what happened. And uh, so we are going to talk about what's on everyone's lips this morning, which is the coronavirus and COVID-19. But we're really going to take a different twist on it. So we're focused on political systems and what does this say about our political systems? What exactly is it exposing? And Alicia Dorsey, who's been doing a lot of activism, uh, city-focused and state-focused for some years now, and Raphael Freeman is a political scientist. And so I welcome you back to the show for the very different perspectives that you bring to this. And I'm really looking forward to us kind of also butting heads a little bit and seeing how we can leverage our collective power and our different perspectives moving forward. Let's start with this. What does, um, what does this crisis tell us about our political systems? Like, what is it that you see in terms of what this crisis is showing us? Well, we're looking like a third world country, if you ask me. And this crisis is really showing how vulnerable our systems are because our healthcare system isn't even capable of really handling this COVID-19. People are stressed out because we're not used to social distance. We've never heard of social distance before. So to be totally dependent on a system that just totally crashed because oppressive systems, that's what they do, they crash eventually. And this COVID-19, a virus, came and crippled our political system. And now they're trying to rescue people with money, rescue everybody with money, but they don't even have a cure. The president, his only focus is us going back to build an economy. Like, people, please wake up and pay attention to what's going on with this COVID-19, because it's a wake-up call for us to make the necessary adjustments we need to make in our life and get away from a political system that's just trapping us up with capitalism. Raphael, yeah, what do you say about I like this idea of us waking up and really paying attention. I think a lot of what we have now uh, that's in place 
is a result of this move toward the HMO system that came about, I guess, under the, the Nixon administration. Mm-hmm. But I think more than anything else is how United States Americans relate to their government. So I think healthcare has been a problem in this country since at least the, the Nixon administration. But I think as long as enough people feel like they're okay, then then there are also enough people who don't care and people just kind of do them. So, for example, here's really the kind of essence of what I mean. When there are enough disaspected or, let's say, uninsured or underinsured Americans, their level of protest to the government is, it pales in comparison to something like the French, right? The French are in the streets, whether it's yellow jackets or the red umbrellas or red tents. The French are in the streets. They're camping whenever they feel like their needs are not met by the government. Mm-hmm. But I think when U.S. citizens, when their needs are not met by the government, people just go to the movies and that's that. They, or that's, take on a fourth job, right? right or, or work harder. Yeah. But there's not a sense that the government owes them something. And so there's a type of complacency that I think that's built into the culture that comes directly from the system where people don't push back in the same way. Exactly. Right. That's because we have a government that doesn't care about our people. Our government focus is all about capitalism. It's never about the people. So to say people are distant from that, they're distant because nobody cares about them and nobody has been caring about them. And we take it on as I have to care for myself and forget about that next person. I'm hoping that COVID-19 brings out that compassion piece where we can begin to care about people and care about one another and create a governance amongst ourselves to start caring for each other collectively. Yeah, I definitely want to come back to this compassion piece. And I would just want to take a step back for a second, because I know that both of you have an analysis that's really sharp, and it's been sharpened by years of paying attention and by years of kind of understanding or exploring how these systems work. And so before we go there, before we go to like what we want to see, tell me what truths is this chaos exposing? Well, look at the public school system in Philadelphia. They know how to practice for fire drills. They know how to practice for uh, lockdowns in their schools, but they have no plans for a shutdown. They totally shut down our schools indefinitely and sent our families home with a packet that's not going to be graded, that really has no value whatsoever, right? So the public school system is not making money off of the test now because that's their big thing at this time of the year is this test that they make all this money off of. They're not making that money. So capitalism just fell apart and showed you they didn't care about your family because they only focus on the test, right? Now look at our families. (laughs) Our families aren't even in the mindset to say, okay, well, you still need to be educated. So now I'm going to create a routine for you to get up and make sure you do your ABCs, one, two, threes, right? Our families aren't even in that mindset because they're so dependent on a system to provide them educational tools. And our families don't know how to use these educational tools. And I'm just going to talk from my own experiences. Like, my grandson is totally stressed out right now. He's eight years old in the Mm. third grade and totally stressed out because of COVID-19. And I'm not going to get into all the details, 
but just not a good picture for some of our families that are vulnerable to the systems who do look for mental health support from the school because that's the only place they're going to get that support is from the school, but it's not there now, right? So now they're in chaos. It's just built off the backs of people, and it's not about the people being at the table. So I just emailed the Board of Education and let them know, like, y'all don't have a plan for us, right? And that's not acceptable that y'all don't have a plan for us. We need to be at the table, not on the table. Stop eating us for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and put us at the table to talk with us and plan with us on how y'all can help our communities. Right. Part of what you're saying is, like, it's not acceptable that you don't have a plan. And if you don't have the clarity to have a plan, at least bring us to the table and have a say in what plan gets developed. Because part of the chaos is that it's really hard time to plan, right? Because right. we don't actually know what's going to happen two weeks from now. But what you're saying is we need to be at the table for whatever process you're in. From here yeah. on out, we should always be at the table. This is our human rights, right? Our human rights should not be capitalized. Public education should be a human right. I think it's a liberty. I think they say it's mm-hmm. not your right, but it's a liberty. It's a freedom. Mm-hmm. Like, no, that's yeah. a human right. Because some families don't have that ability to teach their family at home. So they need that support of a professional setting for all those resources. Man, come on. Yeah. And there is one thing I want to highlight from your show, Raphael. You said something really beautiful, which was the political system informs the culture. It's just really insightful. Do you want to say something about that? Yeah, I would like to say something about that, especially just building off of the back of what Alicia was talking about in in terms of us not having a plan and and really the way that we do plan. I think a lot of our political cycles, we're constantly pulling between a long-term vision and this idea of of being reelected. And the the reelection cycle where people are constantly trying to manage their ability to be reelected. And part of it has to do with the fact that we we have a two-party system. Sort of in and of itself, it undermines our ability to do long-term strategic thinking at the policy level just because people are worried about getting Mm reelected. And so even when we look at planning, unless it's right on the list of people, uh, of the voters, if that thing is not right on the lips of the voters, we can effectively ignore it as politics because it's not going to be one of these things that's going to get you elected. And like Alicia said, we end up exactly in places like this with no plan, even the fact that if you look at the budget that the CDC had, that being slashed by the president and having the response team being essentially decimated by the president, mm-hmm. Because even though the Obama administration saw that there was something coming, there wasn't an imminent threat that people already knew. And so the president thought that it was okay to get rid of this response. And now we end up here, and there's nothing in place. And it's part of the failure of long-term thinking, because we think in such short election cycle modalities that here we end up with no plan. I want to add something to that So what I'm hearing you say is one of the truths this exposes is that in our two-party system, we're in a mindset of competition over even our term years as opposed to building off of each other. And I think this president has definitely shown that to a greatest extent because, you know, we spent this first two years basically undoing everything Obama did. 
But there's a mindset underneath that. And the fact that, you know, the Republicans were fine with that, it's under that mindset of competition versus, I love what, what you said, like the Obama administration saw that a pandemic was actually one of the biggest threats to our economy and put some things in place so we would be equipped, right? So some preventive right. measures so that we would be equipped. And then, you know, the next person said, comes and says, I don't really respect whatever you saw as needed. And I'm just going to start over as if a country can start over every four years. Like what country would we be if we yeah. actually started over every four well, years? They, but that's how yeah. they started all over. And you can see that right now playing out the corporate welfare. That was the first thing they was talking about was corporate bailout, corporate bailout. What? What about the people? You're going to do corporate bailouts and these companies are still closed. The airlines can't fly nowhere until COVID-19 is contained or there's a cure for it. So what are you talking about corporate bailout? I'm so happy that COVID-19 came. I don't like the deaths or all the, the suffering that it came, but I'm glad it's here to highlight, like, everything is about money. Like, why is it always about money? Because that's where our country is the economy the COVID-19 affected the economy we need to create economies within our communities that support our communities not economies that's built off of our communities and then when they collapse everything collapsed like come on yeah I just wrote an article yesterday uh, I haven't published it yet but one of the things I was saying is that I'm not saying I love chaos but there are some things about chaos that I really appreciate. appreciate and yeah. one of it is truth, yeah. right? Yeah. Is that chaos tends to be really honest. Mm -hmm. Like who the hell has heard alternative facts right. in the past month, right? right? Alternative facts don't fly. Chaos is a great filter. It's a great BS detector. Like, yeah. One of the other truths that I think this is exposing actually, it's not a different truth. It's what you're saying around capitalism. I just want to break it down a little bit more. So one of the reasons Italy responded as quickly as Italy did is that we have a single payer national health care system. So as soon as and Lombardy is like kind of the flower of Italy in terms of equipment and infrastructure. Right. So once the government started to see, I'm going to say it in Italian, um, the region of Lombardia be strained the government immediately took it seriously mm -hmm. because there is no making money on people's health in Italy. Actually, having a bunch of people sick yeah. means that the government's expenses are going to skyrocket, mm -hmm. right? So it has yeah. a higher interest in guaranteeing the health of human beings. Mm -hmm. And that's why in Italy you saw a lockdown so quickly. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not going to say Italy's doing everything right. I mean, our healthcare system has also been decimated in the past 10 years in the name of capitalism. Uh, Italy's been monkeying the United States, unfortunately, for about at least 15 years in all of its systems because we assume that America has everything better. Right. Yeah. But you can see even in the velocity of response, like Italy had a lot fewer cases and deaths when it ordered the shutdown. The United States waited at least a couple of weeks longer. Because it was a joke for uh, Trump at first. He didn't even want to admit that it was a pandemic. I mean, that's what we're living with. Well, like, and he doesn't say it, but, like, sickness is the biggest business in the United States right now. Right. So, oh, my God, what a great money-making opportunity. Mm -hmm. So this is what we're talking about when we're talking about right. capitalism. 
versus government. Like government was created so that our common interest could kind of oversee and supersede mm -hmm. our economic interests, mm -hmm. right? Like it's important to have schools because if we each were educating our children individually, that would be a lot more expensive and require a lot more resources than pooling our resources. So the reason we have political systems is so that we can pool our resources, not so we can exploit each other. Right. One of the things that you said here, I think you were talking about how in Italy you don't profit off of the sickness of the people. You know, what I'm looking at, it's not that Europe doesn't do capitalism, but for us it's a confluence of a few things. One, I think there is obviously it's disability to profit off of the sickness of people. But in particular, because of how our this kind of competition between parties and animus in parties that we haven't seen in, you know, decades, I'm just gonna call out the Republicans here, that as long as their party isn't the party that's affected, then I think they don't they essentially don't care. Kanye West said something that I think I don't think it was articulated quite correctly, but it got to the heart of something that I think it tends to be true in our politics. This was after the Katrina disaster. Kanye West said, I think his words were, George Bush don't care about black people. And I don't quite think that's true, but I, I think he was getting at something that if the party, the majority of the people who are being affected are not represented by Republican interests, then you're not going to have a Republican response that, that really kind of musters the, the force of the United States. And then Republicans start to get affected. Once that demographic starts to get affected, then you see a mobilization of like the entire U.S. government. And that, for me, feels like it's a problem. It's the interest of money, but also I only care about my own people, about my own group. And that, to me, seems like a broken system. It's very broken. It's a divided system. Republican, Democrat is divide and conquer mentality. I'm just happy to see like the breakdown, like how this all broke down. I didn't see the Republican stimulus package, but I did see the Democratic stimulus package. And I was pissed that they put the election in there and did very little for student loans. And, like, they're not even talking about people that's incarcerated, right, and how dangerous it is to be incarcerated at this time with COVID-19, where social distance, distance is not an option in those settings. Our youth residential placements, they're being shut down. They're self containing people in the youth homes, not allowing our youth to go out and get some air and get some visits. They tell them if they go out, they can't come back in. Like human rights are being violated on every level, every single level uh, with this COVID-19. And we the people, we just sit back and we just wait for the government to do whatever the government is going to do. And then we go, it's like we're programmed to just, when they say move, we move. When they say sit down, we sit down. Right. And COVID-19 is a reason to sit down. I'm not saying it's not a good reason for us to be sitting down, but we should be looking at like what just happened here, like how we're just so dependent on a system. Like we didn't have a say about the president not having the pandemic organization cut, having that budget cut. We never have a say in any of these things. They just do what they want with us. And I'm just tired of that. I'm just tired of us being so vulnerable to people that don't care about us. When are we going to care about ourselves? Like I keep saying, we are the ones we are looking for. It's all in us. And I'm glad we highlight in the political system, but the focus should be on the welfare of all people. Right. Not on 
the money made off of all people and breaking like if we talk about the welfare system, a DHS, that's a total money maker. They break the family up and then they want to give you family counseling. They want to take the, the children to foster care. Everybody's getting paid off of breaking a family apart. How can we come together? How can we get paid to help the family from not being broken apart in the first place? That's the piece COVID-19 should be bringing to us, right? We should be seeing that compassion because we don't know how long we're going to be stuck in the house. Like, this is a major adjustment and people are freaking out. Like, I drive Uber, right? And when I, I had a customer, a rider, Carla, last night, and she was like, I believe COVID-19 came from God to tell us that we need to spend more time with our family, to tell us we don't need the materialistic things in the world, right? Because if you look at everything that broke down, it's all materialistic things. Those are the things that aren't working right now. Everything that's working right now are the essential things that we need in life. That's what we need to focus on. That's what me and Carla was talking about last night. Hi, Carla, if you're listening to us. Yeah, I love the other thing I was saying is chaos is a sifter, right? It kind of, and a filter. It tends to pull off our plates anything that's not essential or important and have us focus. It's a really good focusing mechanism, right? And I love how you said that. It's like focusing on our families. Mm -hmm. But also, I mean, I would add for those of us who are like doing everything they can to not be in the anxiety and the panic, but stay grounded. Like this is really a time where reflection is really, really humongously alive. And I get that for people who have kids and kids running around and are trying to work, homeschool their kids and do childcare, like that's not your experience. And I completely accept and respect that. Mm -hmm. But for those of us who do have more space, it's really a somber moment to like reflect mm -hmm. and say, okay, what is my life about? Mm -hmm. Do I have an alignment with right. my values? Mm -hmm. And what's next? Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the big questions that is outstanding for me, especially kind of going off what Alicia was saying about how we do materialism and how we do consumerism and not enough of, of the kind of basics that really matter. Like we have a, a shiny object syndrome, you know, the next new version of this thing that comes on Netflix mm -hmm. or this thing that comes on mm -hmm. Amazon Prime to watch. Yep. And then we're distracted. Again. Yep. And so my question is, how do we move away from focusing on the shiny thing? Because right now we don't have any choice. We're stuck. But once this thing is lifted, do we fall back in the trap of just watching Netflix or do we actually do something, something different? Yeah, I love that you bring it up because I think this is an incredible moment to create. And because all these truths are being exposed, it's really an opportunity for us to say, okay, right now what? Coming to back to what something you were saying before, Alicia, about like we want to be at the table when there's a plan, right? In the face of chaos, we can't actually plan the way we used to plan because there is no certainty in terms of what next. So what guides us are our principles. And this is why it's so important to kind of be aware of what the underlying principles are right now. Because if the major principle is how are we going to start making money again, mm -hmm. as opposed to... Mm -hmm oh, okay, mm -hmm. the earth is actually regenerating right now. Right. How can we create an economy that allows the earth to continue its process of regeneration? Mm -hmm. And how do we create an economy, as you were saying, right, that benefits off of health and building as opposed to benefiting on 
family separation and disease, and we basically make money off of destruction. That's the backbone of our economy. Consumption and destruction are the only two things that make money in America, like at a big systems level. As we create something new, like what are the principles that we can stand in that are solid to generate like a shift in our society, given the shakeup we just had? I think if we start with compassion and just like just begin to understand the need to care for one another collectively, it's not we can't do this by ourselves. We're in this together. We can do this. What's going around now? That's the spirit that's being built. We can do that. If that's the underlying spirit of America, then that means all of us need to be at the table and develop these principles, develop what it is that we want to see as a society. But first, we got to wake up and understand that it all broke down. We first got to understand that piece. And if we're not understanding that, then those of us that do, we build the collective systems and wait for people to fall in. We just wait for them to understand, like, oh, they see that we're working, they see we're growing, they see that we're doing this, and they be like, oh, yeah, I want to join that. I mean, to me, I think that might be the only way. I've, I haven't seen a solution yet, and I've been doing this for about 20 years. I actually did it with video, started documenting everything, interviewing people so I could understand how to get people to care for one another and become a community and not caught up on materialistic things but it's so deeply rooted in us from colonialism, from the slave trade. It's all about whipping it into a person, whipping it in, whipping it in. Oh my gosh, heartbreaker. Last night when I went home from work, I seen a, a young man with a, a sweatshirt on. On the back of the sweatshirt, it had the crown. It say, stay calm and keep in trauma. Like, keep with your trauma. Like, that's what it is. Nobody talks about the trauma nobody's having these these really conversations and that's why we're stuck we're stuck in these same systems because we don't want to talk to get further so i say for those of us that's ready let's do this you know come together collectively and show the people what self-governance can be like we're still going to hold the government accountable because they are accountable they're plotting on us so let's just turn the tables and create our own governance of ourselves i mean that's just a suggestion i don't know I think that's the best possible suggestion. This idea of collective action and self-governance and making sure that some of our, our basics are covered. One of the things that I see amongst some kind of collectivist groups is that people will come together, but they don't live together. And actually, I think that living together and also being responsible for the production of your own food, those things, I think it frees us in some ways from a type of dependence on looking for the system to do something. And there are actually a few good models out there, but for me, when I look at the Hasidic of like New York, like New York State and New Jersey, here's a really good example of how people work within the system and they use the system for their collective betterment, and they're really, really successful at it. Uh, the Hasidic Jews of uh, kind of New York and outside of New York, and the part of New Jersey that's outside of New York. And that type of collective action, I think it's possible because they're one, they're underlying principles. And two, they live together. And I think without that, we're always going to be dependent on. So I want to go back to this other thing that you said, uh, Alicia, and that you mentioned also read about the culture. When we look at slavery and how this country came about, so much of trying to bring a union out of states that didn't really want the same thing mm -hmm. was they struck a balance around state rights. And that almost the entirety of how much states' rights got protected 
was because they were also trying to incorporate these states that were slaveholding states. Mm -hmm. And so now we have a culture of states' rights where so many states make right exactly. And people say, the government can't tell me what to do. And then you have the people of that state who say, well, you can't tell me what to do. And it's very hard for us to get where, I, I think, as a country. And what you said, this idea of being of doing collective action first and then having people fall in once they see how successful it is, I don't know where else to start other than that. I think you're right. Thanks. Yeah, that's been my observation. And another observation is if you don't have money, people don't listen. <laughs> money so they're not listening too much to me you know what i'm saying i'm doing the work and everything but i don't have the money to put in front of them to say because i don't really believe in money like i believe in people power i don't believe in that money movement we can do this like we have the skills and the ability to do this like too much hype is on money like i just don't understand it what is the collective power that we actually have to shift these political systems. One of the reasons I started this radio show is because I got really frustrated at the number of books I've read like on systemic oppression and systemic racism that sort of had this tone of we're all doomed, like this can't be changed, you know? And I was just like really kind of fed up with the doom and gloom approach to systems because... When we study systems and when we look at it from the history, right, whether they were founded in enslavement or they were founded before, they were founded in segregation, which is where most of our systems were founded, either in legal segregation and enslavement, we get clear, like, these were actually created at a specific moment in time. Mm -hmm. They are children of their times. Mm -hmm. And then somehow we got to the point, and this kind of comes back to what you were saying earlier, Raphael, we got to the point where we accepted they were a given as if they can no longer change. So I hear what you're saying about creating local communities, like local communities that live together and eat together and like are really strong and connected. What other things do you think we have collective power over? I like to do the, the macro to take one step back. There's a tendency, right? There's a, there's a human tendency for people who are left through center to divide. And if you know this That's ahead right. of time, if you know that there is a, a tendency for people who are left of center to splinter, then you can work around that. And there's at least one thing I think that we need to do in order to counteract, and we've done it, right? So unions are a really good example of effectively being able to counteract that tendency. If you know this ahead of time, then you can get people to agree on what are the basics that they're kind of fighting for and then hammer those basics over and over. Without those basics kind of being lined out, like delineated ahead of time, then you get people fighting for very different things and people tapping out at different moments once they feel like, oh, I got what I want. Alicia was talking about really divide and conquer. There's some really good examples of people just being divided by giving, oh, here's a piece, and then the entire coalition falls apart. And so I think if we could agree ahead of time, on some basics of what we're trying to hammer, the way that the unions did, kind of very effectively, then I think you could have a very effective collective movement from the left, and it's not doing a group. That is important. I'm glad you brought that up. I never even thought about it that way. I've done coalitions so many times, even on political campaigns. Like, we come together because, like, with Barack Obama, we all came together because we liked Barack Obama, but we all had different goals for being on that campaign. Yeah, what you just said is very, very, very important. 
there are some frameworks that are coming up now and around like organizational development and civic engagement. And there's this whole concept like shared work. So we don't actually have to agree exactly on where the long term is, mm-hmm. like exactly where we want to get. Mm-hmm. If we can just agree on what's the shared work to do together, we can actually work towards very different worlds, mm-hmm. but complement each other in the shared work. Mm-hmm. So it's exactly what you were describing, mm-hmm. right? So you can have like an anarchist and a socialist and a liberal Democrat working on the same campaign. Yeah. If the principle is community mm-hmm. and that principle unites us, yes. we can work on something in common. We don't actually have to all agree yes. on the long-term view. Yes. Yes. Like we can work on something right. because a lot of this is emergent anyway. Like where we are today mm-hmm. is not necessarily where we're going to be tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I'm a very strong proponent of visions guiding groups. I think it's important to create futures that at least inspire us instead of gloom and doom. Mm-hmm. But visions are, for me, are like temporary tools. They just help us get out of the lack and the problem and like to the next level. Mm-hmm. But the shared work is actually the one that drives for a little longer. Yeah. And that's important that we highlight that because you can't do it by yourself. My stage name is Red Hen Exploring because a red hen who planted the seeds tried to get everybody to help, but nobody wanted to help. They just wanted to play. And then when it was time to harvest, nobody wanted to help. They wanted to play. When it was time to eat, everybody wanted to sit at the table. You know what I'm saying? And I believe she still (laughs) fed everybody because that's just who she is. But... It comes to a point where people got to understand one person can't do it all by themselves. When Red Hen is gone, who's going to plant and harvest and feed everybody? You know what I'm saying? Right. We all have to understand we have a role. I'm just happy to be here talking to you and Raphael because it's so rare to meet people who I can have a conversation with and we're all on the same level. And you're not pushing your views on nobody. We're not trying to push anybody anywhere. We're just exposing the broken system, the broken political system. It's just about capitalism. Like, I'm just excited and looking forward to what's the next move. So this conversation is a conversation where we're working from the assumption that three brains are better than one. Yes. And so one of the things that's needed is for people to come together, not to try to convince people of what they think but actually coming together and finding the common idea in the midst of different opinions Uh like uh that's why most people don't consult it's like oh my god that person's bitter i don't really want to hear their perspective i don't really want to get into a fight with them so i'm just going to do my thing and not interact with them versus like let me get curious and see okay yeah that person's got like they're a little intense Uh but let's have a conversation because the park is ours And so let's have a conversation about, hey, I had this idea. And if we have those conversations, so you were saying, Raphael, like coming together as community and living together and maybe like eating together. Like I would say like one of the first things that's really important is for us to start having conversations with side by side with folks who have common interests with us, but -hmm. have completely different perspectives Mm -hmm. and explore what we can create from there. That's actually something new that neither of us could have thought of mm-hmm. on our own. And they do that very well at Dorenseff in West Philly. Um, Drexel University has a Dorenseff Center. They do that very well. Yeah. I mean, we should have a Dorenseff in every community. That model is so perfect. And I apologize. I didn't mean to jump in it. I guess there's an underlying question that is always there for me when I think about how people come into these smaller conflicts. 
when I think about gentrifying forces, for me, it doesn't feel any different than what most people are doing, period. Right? A lot of Americans, they're just acting in their own best interest. I think there's a tendency that if I don't want the thing that you want, uh, kind of to Rita's point, then I'm just going to do me and let you do you. And whoever has the most money or influence wins eventually because I can mm-hmm. price you out. And I think that there's a way around that. I think that there is a sense of, uh, I don't want to sound hokey in a sense of taking care of each other, but the ultimate goal of the left to, let's say, better take care of each other. One of Rita's questions about how we do it and what that really looks like and having the conversations ahead of time, I think is really important. I think it, it is possible to snap people out of this, this sense of, I'm just going to do me and let you do you. But there's a head of time about how we take care of each other. I think that's a critical thing that we need to ask ourselves. And even knowing what we want, like, what do we want? And yeah, well, we're home right now with COVID-19. So that's a perfect time to like, to reconnect to that part, how we take care of ourselves and how we take care of the house. Like we could be spring cleaning the whole house to get rid of COVID-19. Use COVID-19 to do that spring cleaning. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it brings out that conversation and that connectedness. Like we all have a role. Like everybody could be doing their part. Like we could be cleaning our whole community. Like we could do it in a protective way, right? I just think COVID-19 has the ability to help us bring together the things that we really need to do. Like we need to be clean anyway. We need to have good hygiene. We need to be like practicing certain hygiene in the public anyway. So I love what you're saying, right? It's like being connected, being clean. Like there are some core aspects that are coming out of this. And Mm so I'm wondering if like, as we're ending the show, like in our last five minutes, we can actually focus a little bit. Like what is this shared work? And one of the things that I'm hearing, so I hear just feeding back what things I heard, like Raphael, you were talking about taking care of each other. Alicia, you were talking about actually having conversations to discover what our shared interest is instead of like stomping on people's arena, shared spaces, and so on and so forth. And then cultivating shared spaces. Like a lot of people are doing that online right now, Mm -hmm. but continuing to cultivate shared spaces. Mm -hmm. One of the things I want to highlight and bring to the surface is that social change is a fractal thing, which means that we can't shift the system at a government level if we're not willing to make that shift in our small life, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But if enough of us make the shift at a community level, at a personal level, eventually that system will have to shift Mm -hmm. because the system was built inside of a capitalist, I own you, Mm -hmm. basically, right? Mm -hmm. It was Mm -hmm. like ownership of human Mm -hmm. beings is the backbone of of our political system. So the way that shows up in our local realities is I only talk to you if I need something from you. Mm Now, needing something from you could be like literally like I need some sugar in my next door neighbor, but it could also mean, hey, I can see that you're politically successful, you're professionally successful, and I think you can take me somewhere. That's still, and it's fine, there's nothing wrong with it, but that's still very utilitarian, right? As opposed to the core principle being, no, let's look out for each other, let's take care of each other, which means creating community even with the people who we don't think we can get anything out of Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um and this comes back to the piece you were saying about colonialism like the underpinning perspective of colonialism is see want take and if we relate to each other as human beings from a space of see want take Mm -hmm. if we do that in our personal lives Mm -hmm. we have zero chance of shifting the system Mm -hmm. 
But if we can start doing it in our personal lives, right. what is possible? Raphael, do you want to tell us any last thoughts you may have and how do people get in touch with you and your work? I think uh, Alicia just summed up really, for me, the cap of, uh, of those thoughts. But if anyone wants to get in touch with me, I'm certainly uh, on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, anybody can find me at heterodocsamericana.com and all my contact information is there. Heterodocs is H-E-T-E-R-O-D-O-S, heterodocsamericana.com. You can, you can definitely find me there. I think the last thoughts I want to put forward is that the piece where we were is just really important. Like we have to be willing to look at ourselves and recognize the like capitalism in us. So mm-hmm. when are we practicing disposability politics, right? When, when are we throwing people away because we think they don't have anything for us? Mm-hmm. And when is it that we're kind of taking advantage of people that we think do have something for us? Like, I think we all have that in our mindset. It's the way to use the expression you use, Raphael, politics informs culture. So in a country that is a capitalistic country where the core is making money, we relate to each other as human beings oftentimes as as earning something. It may Mm -hmm. not always be money, but it's earning something, getting something. And Mm -hmm. so I think this is a really kind of profound place where we landed, which is like if we're willing to look at the times where we do that, right? Like we do that on a one-on-one basis and we shift the ways that we create community, like the community you were talking about, Alicia, right? Mm -hmm. Like if we shift the way we create community in a way that, everyone can come and everyone can be fully appreciated, valued and held in their dignity as human being and not because they're producers. Mm-hmm. Like the more we do that, I mm-hmm. think the more there's a space for our communities to shift, but also for our political systems to shift. Absolutely. So Alicia and uh, Raphael, thank you so much for being guests on our show today. This was like a really great treat. For the rest of you, thank you for joining us for another episode of Collective Power. Thank you for listening to another episode of Collective Power. If you'd like to be a guest on our show, recommend a guest on our show, or write for our upcoming Medium publication, feel free to contact us at collectivepowermedia.com. You can also become a supporter and help us offset the costs of making the podcast for as little as $3 a month. To do so, go on our website at collectivepowermedia.com and click on the button that says Donate, Become a Supporter. Thank you for your courage to see the bigger picture. And until next week, drop the mic.